We welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Let's go to our Bibles and let's get into the message. And I'm very thankful for the time here. I'm very humbled that I'm even standing behind this pulpit, um, any pulpit. Um, Philippians chapter 1, we're going to be in verse number 27. The Bible says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is <clears throat> to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake, having the same conflict which ye saw in me and now here to be in me. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bows and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye may be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. I'd like to preach a message I've entitled tonight, Staying Unified Through Life's Difficulties. Staying Unified Through Life's Difficulties. Can we go to Lord in prayer? Father, I thank You so much for um, just allowing me to be here tonight. Father, I thank You for Brother Hooks. Thank You for his church, his staff. It's just a wonderful place uh, to be tonight. Just to see what You've done here has been amazing. Thank You for allowing me to, to see it and Lord, I just pray that you be with this church, be with the pastor and his wife, and I pray that you have blessed them abundantly. Father, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we look at the book of Philippians. Philippians is actually my favorite book of the Bible, and I'm very thankful for it. My second one would be Ephesians in whatever book I'm in when I'm going through preaching. Um, but I spent several months in Ephesians. I love it also, and we'll be there just a little bit tonight. But Philippians is a great book to me. The reason why Philippians is so, uh, I, one of the reasons why I like it is that Paul's in prison and he's writing about joy. I don't know when's the last time you've been in prison and I've seen the guys in prison and, you know, it's amazing when you go preach the truth to them, how thankful for, they are and how receptive they are. And then we come back to church and I'll go to my church and I'll preach and it's not the same reception and, they, and they're saved and they're not locked up. And I'm thinking to myself, you need to come to the jail with me. And two of them have started coming. And they're like, wow. But if every service was that way, and if we were all hungry, and if we were desiring God's Word, when these men that are in difficulties are looking just for a little bit of hope. And we see Paul writing from the prison. As he's writing from the prison, he's talking about joy. And in Philippians, he's writing to the church at Philippi, which started in the book of Acts chapter 16. And he found a couple of ragtag people and they got saved. And it was amazing how everything got started. And then he got beat for leading them to the Lord. 
Philippians chapter 4, verse number 4 is what I would consider the key verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. There's four chapters of 104 verses. And I, out of all those, is joy is six different times and rejoice is ten times. I think Paul was trying to get it across to the church at Philippi. You're going to go through some trials. You're going to go through some struggles. You're going to have things that happen in your life. But let me tell you something. If you have the joy of Jesus in your heart, nothing can change if you keep it there. Because we're all going to go through trials. We're all going to face it. And if you haven't faced one yet, I'm going to tell you, you're going to face it because we have an adversary. And he wants nothing good in our life. And when I think about these things, uh, and I, we go to Philippians chapter 1, the verses that we read in verse number 27, only let, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Verse 28, And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation, that of God. When I look at this thing, uh, uh, understand that when Philippians was written and we have the chapter breaks and the verse breaks, those were not inspired. I hope we understand that. From chapter 1 to chapter 2 is a continual. It's a, he's actually answering uh, the question in verse number 1 of chapter 2 of the previous verses in chapter 1. And if you want to know the context, you have to continually go through it. How do we know that? Because chapter 2, verse number 1 starts off with if. It's the if-then principle. It was if after the stuff that he had mentioned before that. And as we go into this tonight, I want us to think about this. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this of Philippians chapter 2 is the classic passage in the whole New Testament on the subject of peace. You want to have joy? You're first going to have to have peace with Jesus Christ. And as we go through different things in our life, I'd like to just go through a couple of them tonight. Number one, there will be conflict from your adversaries. In verse number 28, it says, And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them on an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. This adversaries, what is this? This is a, those that are in opposition to us. And the greatest adversary, obviously, is Satan. He wants nothing to happen in your life that's going to be good at all. Uh, and he'll do whatever it takes to get you off track. You know, when you pick up the phone and that wrong message is on there, or when you're surfing this and surfing that, he's going to throw something out there because he's the adversary. He doesn't matter what age you are. He doesn't matter what position, if you even hold a position in church, or if you're just a born-again believer. God, uh, Satan is going to do everything he can to get you off track. He is the great adversary. He uses uh, people to hinder the work of God and he tries to scare us out of our assurance and our service for Christ. You know how many times I struggled with the assurance, assurance of salvation because that one man looked at me and told me I didn't get saved? Think about that for a second. How many people came in that building over the years and that man said, you didn't get saved? It's not Jesus plus this. It's Jesus plus nothing. Jesus Christ is enough. Said these adversaries. But secondly, if you look there, it says nothing terrified to frighten. It's the word picture of a, 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 a timid or a scared horse. You don't want to startle it. I grew up on a farm in Oklahoma and we didn't have horses, but you never got behind a cow. 
one of two things that happen. And I'm not going to explain them tonight, especially when you're giving shots and all that stuff. But one thing I did learn is you never get behind a horse and startle it. You got to be careful. There's all kinds of, he says, hey, Paul says, hey, nothing and in nothing terrified by your adversaries. Any preacher who attacks evil, any pastor, any person who tries to reach souls for Christ will have opposition. You know what I think? I think the devil tries to take the, the people that deal with children the most because if, if you get them at their young age, boy, the devil's losing that fight. No, he, I, look, you know, the devil doesn't care that you're here tonight as long as you don't listen. He's like, hey, sit. Here's a perfect seat for you. You can sit right here, sit right under the air conditioning, whatever. Hey, listen, you can even sing the songs if you want to as long as you don't pay attention. You can get on your phone. You can do whatever you want. Hey, you can have every different, different distraction because why? Your adversary, the devil, is going to do everything he can to distract you. And there will be conflict from your adversaries. This token of perdition right here in verse number 28, this token of perdition is, is actually like a, a writ of an indictment or a demonstration or proof. In my modern terms is don't become a trophy on the devil's mantle case because he's got plenty already there. He's, this is a token, uh, th th this token of perdition is saying, hey, if I get this person off track, this is a token. This is a trophy. This is great. If I can take the preacher and hurt him somehow, if I can do whatever I can to the preacher's wife or, or a staff member or, or a Sunday school teacher, if I can get them off here, if I can get this person to leave the church, maybe they'll bring somebody else with them. I'll do whatever it takes. That way I can have a token of perdition. Have the trophy of saying, I got another one. I got another one. Once you're saved, uh, Holy Spirit resides in your heart. There's no room for anything else. But if he can get you off track and say, hey, this is a bad testimony right here, he's won. He's going to try. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 4, it says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You know that we're going to have to face some suffering. In verse number 29, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which ye saw in me, now here to be in me. Paul said, Hey, look, I've suffered. I, I'm not going to go down his whole list of all the things that he went with the shipwreck and being whipped and everything else, but he suffered for Christ. And we look throughout the Bible and we find that as he suffered for Christ, he gloried in his infirmities. He was thankful for suffering. When was the last time you were thankful for suffering for Christ? I didn't, it got quiet, didn't it? I don't like to suffer either. Suffering is to experience a sensation or impression or something painful to feel uh, passion or suffering. You know, the apostle said this in Acts chapter 5, they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Colossians 1.24, Paul said, who now rejoice in my suffering, sufferings for you? 1 Peter chapter 4, but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering. It's a privilege to suffer for Christ. I know we're not going to walk outside and say, hey, I want to suffer today. But when you do, can you imagine what Christ did for you? 
And we get the privilege, hear me folks, privilege to suffer for Him. You know, it's a privilege to be at church tonight. Some of us may have came here tonight, and I don't know the crowd here, and I'm sure nobody in this room feels this way, that you just marked off to be here so pastor knew you were here. You know, it's a privilege to come to church. You know, it's a privilege to hear God's Word. I remember as a young man, I went over to Moldova and we, we got to pass out 2,000 Bibles. We passed them out in like five to 10 minutes. There was a lady, I'll never forget, there was a lady up on the top, uh, like third story up, and she was crippled and she couldn't get down the stairs and she was uh, knitting something or she grabbed a ball of yarn and she threw it out the window and she was screaming something in Romanian and um, Pavel Klippa was there with us and uh, they, they, they tied the knot up on the Bible and she, she took it up as quick as she could and she took that Bible and when she brought it to herself and just crying and screaming out loud, we allow so much dust on our Bible, we wouldn't put our lips on it. She was begging for the Word of God. There's people over there. I met a pastor that literally was building a church. And the, 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 the Greek Orthodox Church went out there and bought vodka for the entire village. And they came and they ransacked the church that he was building. Then they beat him and left him for dead in the ditch. He was in the hospital for three or four weeks. I don't remember exactly when. I've had sleep since then. But when he got out of the hospital, out of ICU, he went back and started one brick at a time to build the church again. He thought it was a privilege to suffer for Christ. Some of us get a paper cut and can't make it to church. I got a guy in our church. He's 80 years old. He just resigned from treasury. He is such a faithful, blessing man. Every time I talk to him, he says, if I don't break a nail, I'll be here. I said, brother, if you break a nail one of these days, I'm going to come find you. <laughs> suffering. Suffering. There will be conflict from the adversaries. Number two, I must hasten. There will be opportunities to have peace in the conflict. Chapter 2, verse number 1, the if. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, the consolation of Christ is bringing Christ into your conflict and peace will come. Whether it be your past or whatever's going on, if the devil keeps reminding of your past, would you please remind him of his future? Please? Whatever conflict you're having, would you tell your conflict how great Jesus is? You serve a big God, don't you? All two of you, praise God. Do you serve a big God tonight? Amen. He loves you. He wants to do so much for you. He wants to be there with you when you go through that trial. The comfort in love, the love of God that brings comfort to our souls, the fellowship of the Spirit is the fact that we have the access to God through prayer at any time. You know, praying is one of the easiest things to do, but it's one of the neglected things that we do. All you have to do is talk to them. You can pray anytime. And we still neglect it because we're too busy to pray. God desires the conversations with us daily, three, four, five times a day. Whatever you can do, talk to Him. Read His words. Let Him talk to you. Then it says, Paul said, in bowels of mercy, this, this heart word is a deep-seated terms is God is working inside of us. 
Yes, there's a conflict from the adversaries. And uh, yes, we're going to face all different types of uh, things going on. And there will be opportunities to have peace in a conflict. But number three, and this is where I would like to get to the whole service here, is there will be a need for unity to give you peace in the conflict. Would you go to verse number two with me, please? Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. How do you fulfill? It's the, this word fulfill is like fill full, like the cup is running over. The one accord is harmonious in the soul. It's, it's souls beating together uh, in tune with Christ and with each other, doing everything they can for the cause of Christ. One mind thinking the one thing like clocks that strike at the same moment perfectly in, in harmony. One person. Who is that one person? Jesus Christ. Would you turn over real quickly to Ephesians chapter 4, please? Paul, another book that under the inspiration of God that he wrote. Ephesians chapter 4, very quickly, please. If you're there, we say amen. Verse number 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's a lot of ones in there, isn't there? Seven of them, the perfect number of God. You want to have that perfect peace? Hey, be along with Christ. Be in one with him. Look, you're about to take on a pretty big um, untaking with the strip mall over here, right? You're going to have to be together. You're going to have to come as one mind, one accord, like-minded. I remember when I, when I uh, went to pastor a church and I was... <laughs> I ran from the, uh, being a pastor for almost a year and a half is the most miserable life, a year of my life, it seemed like. Everything that was falling apart, was it was just horrible. Everything that I tried to do right, God wanted me to be a pastor. I finally, I was afraid to tell my pastor because we were at a church plan. I was there for 12 years and man, I, I loved serving under him and I, I loved his vision. He loved to reach people for Christ. I, he's still reaching people for the Lord. And I, I tell you, <laughs> I did not want to leave that. I knew exactly what I was doing. I knew how to do the missions. I knew how to do children's church. I knew to, how to do the teenagers. I knew how to uh, help run the services. I knew how to run the soundboards. I knew how to run the buses and the bus routes. I love the bus ministry. Matter of fact, I love it so much, I got engaged on a bus. After I got engaged on a bus, when we got married, we left on a bus. Amen? You cut me, I'm going to bleed yellow. I love the bus ministry. But I sure wish some bus would have came by when I was a little kid and told me about Jesus. That's why I love it so much. Because I want to give someone hope that no one else gave me at that young of age. But I remember looking at him the day I told him, I said, Pastor... God's called me to preach. He wants me to be a pastor, and I said, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Don't ever tell a pastor that. <laughs> One quote. He looked at me and says, either you do it or God will kill you. It's up to you. I said, well, I'm not ready to die yet. I know where I'm going, but I'm not ready yet. 
It wasn't just a couple months later that God opened up an opportunity. Our uh, Crown College had a singing group at our church in North Carolina, and one of the guys had been at a church in Missouri, and they were looking for a pastor. And my pastor went up and talked to him, and um, they said, look, we want you to call this guy. And through a whole circumstances, um, I went and tried out and had a 100% vote. And I went to this little church, uh, first Sunday, 66 people. Church was built in 1884. You walked up and walked down with no staircase. Matter of fact, it didn't even have, the pillars were wood. It was jacked up. It was, Brother Lily's been there. Uh, it smelled like mold. We had these, uh, this puke Tennessee orange seats. So I'm not kidding. Am I right, brother? I mean, it, you know, I still got one left. I might just give that to you. Of course, we have red now, maroon, crimson, OU. But anyways, we got rid of all that mess. I remember walking in there. You had one color carpet here. You had another color carpet here. I mean, it was a mess. 66, first Sunday. They hadn't baptized somebody in over six months. When I was there on visitation, we led six people to the Lord on one, on one Saturday when I was trying out. I went and found all of them. We baptized them the, the second Sunday we were there. People looked at me like I had three heads. We started reaching people. Hey, when you're a church plant, all you know is to knock doors. You knock them every week. That's a part of life. They didn't really have any soul winning at that time. They went on visitation, but not just really aggressive. We started going, and I was there October 2nd, 2016. At the end of the month, I went to the treasurer and they owned a piece of property right off the highway. Preach, your preach pastor's been there. And it, I mean, it's its own billboard. They had owned it. There's no, nothing on it. And um, we we're sitting there. And I said, hey, I said, can I ask you a question? Why haven't you built a building over there? Why haven't you moved over there? We're running out of room in here. You can barely fit 70 comfortably. Treasurer, both the guys there, the deacon, the two deacons, and the, one of them was the treasurer. He said, look, he said, if we had $100,000 in the bank so we could make a year's worth of payments, he says, we'll build the building. I said, okay, we'll have it in a month. And they said, yeah, right. I remember it. They said, whatever. I started praying, started fasting. Our church came into one accord. We came into one unit. I mean, we were like-minded. We were striving to try to get this offering. 66, 68 people showed up on November 13th. We took up an offering for the building. I, we don't have any rich people in our church. We don't have any doctors. We don't have, we have a bunch of farmers. We have a bunch of rednecks. That's what I like. If you have not noticed, we took up an offering for $148,000. I remember walking into my offices where they would count. And when I got done shaking hands, I went in there and I was trying to, man, how, how close did we get is what I asked. The guy that doubted me the most, he's standing over there. His hands are shaking and he's crying. He says, I've never held this much money in my hand in my life. He says, I'm sorry, please forgive me for doubting you. I said, it's not me, it's him. Amen. And by the way, you have a beautiful place. You have a wonderful pastor and awesome staff by the grace of God. Amen. I looked at the treasure. I said, are we good? 
you know what? They've been wanting to build that building for years. I don't suggest it to anybody who pastors for his very first time to start a building program six months after you're there, but I'm telling you, there was trials. April, we had groundbreaking Sunday with Dr. Tom Williams. We took up another $52,000. We had a tent revival on the property. I believe in the God of the impossible. I believe if we have enough faith and if, if, if there be any comfort, consolation in Christ, if there be any comfort of love, if there be any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. You know what? You're going to have to come together. You know who's going to need your prayers? That man right there. His wife, his family. I hope you put them at the top of your prayer list. You're going to need to pray. You're going to need to prepare. You're going to need to come together. He didn't ask me to preach this. I may get in trouble when I leave. I don't know. But I know this. If I didn't have some men that gathered around and just prayed and begged God, the very first thing we built on our property, and he's seen it as a prayer shack. That was the first thing that was built out there. People would come by and they had a chair in there and they had a little thing and they would sign when they prayed. They were praying through all out the night. We had people work at night shifts so they'd come, they'd stop, they'd pray. And God just started doing some miracles. We got in the building in 2018 on the July 1st. It was amazing. But it was because people came together. We saved, uh, we, we, we had over $700,000 in sweat equity. Our people did all the work, except the major things that we couldn't do. We came together. I say all this, we're going to have to have unity in any work of God, not just because you're doing something special. If you want the work of God to continue, you're going to have to be a one accord. That means your opinions are going to have to go out the window. In Oklahoma, they say, everybody's got an opinion. They're like armpits. They all stink. No, yes, we have opinions, and that's okay. Your, your pastor has an opinion to think that Tennessee is the greatest football team since history's, since football started, and that's an opinion. It stinks. <laughs> but let me tell you something. God gave you a pastor, and he has a lot to abide in if you look in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And God's given a responsibility to lead people. I remember my favorite passage of Scripture in the Bible as a second man in the church was Exodus chapter 17. When Moses went up to battle, Aaron and Hur came and lifted his arms in the battle and they discomforted Amalek. Someone's going to have to lift his arms. You're going to have to pray a hedge of protection. God's given him a vision. Trust God. He's done a wonderful thing here. I've, uh, it's just a blessing just to be here, but we're going to have to come in one accord, be one mind, striving together. I know it's not some homiletical jewel tonight, but I think you need to pray for your pastor. I think you need to pray for the upcoming days. Be prepared. Put the guard up and trust God. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, 
opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you and thank you once again for listening.